turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And we will begin at verse 35. And I'll finish reading the chapter. And then we'll speak about the glorious future of the believer's body. This is good news if you're over 60. If you're a young stud, you don't know what's coming. So enjoy a good back while you have it. Enjoy all that uh, energy. Because, honey, it's coming. My father used to say to us boys, he had five sons and two daughters, buried two boys. But he used to say to us when we were young and frisky and acting athletic, he would just look at us and say, remember what you are, I was, and what I am, you will become. <laughs> and uh, he could outdo any of us athletically uh, in his 60s because he was very stout and athletic. But listen here, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. And remember in this church, there was teachers saying, hey, we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And he's refuting them and giving the defense. You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are also are those who are of the dust. And is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised. For this perishable 
body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We come to uh, the glorious truth of glorification. We often, when you read Romans 8, 28 through 29, he says that whom God foreknew, he called. Whom he called, he justified. And he goes on, the last thing he mentions in those five things mentioned in that verse 29, them he called, them he justified, them he foreknew, them he glorified. And you find out that salvation at the cross, Christ did not die to leave us in the kind of bodies we inhabit right now. You see, your body is your earth suit until you get to heaven. The real you lives in this suit. But someday the suit is going to be changed. You will continue. Even in death, you will continue. You'll have a conscious existence with God. You never cease from the time you were conceived you never cease to be a person. You don't need a body to be a per- person. The baby is a real person in the womb. See, they don't need a fully grown body. I was conceived in sin, Psalms 50. I had my beginning in the conception in the womb. I began there. I never end. Never will. Now, my earth suit could be a miscarried fetus could be cremated. A lot of ways the earth suit has gotten rid of the body. Now, the plateness. And the Greeks said, there's no future for the body. They always, you'll read a lot of literature. The immortality of the soul. The immortality. That's great. That's nice. That's true. But they never many times ever touch, what about the body? And glorification is that great truth that according to Romans 8, 23 we who have been redeemed by Christ are living in a body in which we groan, and it has not yet had full redemption from sin. It hasn't been completely released from all of the effects of sin. You know, from the time you were born, you started dying. We're all dying. Some of us are seeing more reality of it day by day when you're around loved ones that are sick, those kinds of things. But you're dying. You don't want to admit that, but every seven years, your body is going through a complete changeover. And guess what? The changes are leaving back something we call youth. And pretty soon, gravity starts doing work on your face. And you start looking like Willie Nelson. You've been on the road too long. And and, uh, your body's just saying, I'm wearing out. I'm tired. And so thus... The, the baby boomer generation, they want to get old, exercise, great. Do it. Do everything you can. 
die with a bran muffin in your mouth. It doesn't matter. You're still going to die. You are dying. You're dying. Dying good health, bad health. You're dying. But glorification says, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the spirit, and the spirit is going to be the Erebon, the down payment deposit that I am not done saving you. And someday I'm going to redeem your body. I'm going to unleash it from every effect of the fall because when Adam and Eve sinned, death entered the human race. It entered ecology. It entered into relationships. It entered into paradise. Death, you're living in a dying world. You see, you're living among the dying. I'm going to the land of the living. But everything around me is dying. Trees are dying. People are dying. Insects are dying. We live among death constantly. But he said, I'm going to redeem you completely. I paid for your sins. I've removed you from the judgment of God. I'm delivering you from your habits of sin. The Spirit's working in you. But someday, and he says in Romans, we long, we groan for the day we will be made manifest as the adult sons of God and our body will catch up with our standing. And it will be changed. Now Paul develops this. 1 Thessalonians 4 develops it. Philippians 3.20 said he's going to make us a body conformable unto his. 1 John 3 says when we see him, We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He's going to change your body when you see him. Now, we want to take the journey of the text and see what he says. What will our glorified body look like? What will happen? And and these skeptics were saying, well, what what happens to him? What's a resurrected body? What's the difference? Uh, Any differences? Oh, yeah, I'm glad you asked. There is. Look at uh, verse 42. He says, our earthly body is perishable. Notice that. We're going to sow a body that is perishable. We're having a memorial service for Fred Perry uh, on the 16th. Well, what has been sown at the cemetery, we've already been there, was perishable. Goes back to dust if it had its ordinary course, uh, if there was no embalming fluid, if there was none of the uh, skill of the mortician, just the way God made Adam, when he dies, bury him. He'll return to the dust. Where's Adam? The real Adam is with God inside, but his earth suit, the skin worms devoured. And he said, we're going to get rid of a perishable body but it will be raised imperishable. Your new body will never perish. The parts will last. Anybody got any artificial parts? Knees? How how, how well would you have done on your teeth without a dentist? Anybody remember pre-fluoride? I'm a pre-fluoride baby. Brushing teeth, what's that? Uh, you know, dental, I'm the, I was great being the baby. I made my own dental appointments. And my folks started getting these bills. Philip, what are you doing? Hey, man, I'm going to save my teeth. Well, save us. No more dental appointments. 
just think of how much stuff about your body, a pacemaker, all the stuff we can replace artificially, the body's perishable. It's going to be sown in dishonor. When we have to carry you out of the room, uh, you've lost all honor, strength. You have no more say. But it's going to be raised in glory. I mean, the contrast is going to be marvelous. We're going to sow it in weakness, obviously. Shot down, hit, disease, however it comes about. It will be sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Now watch that verse right there. It is raised a spiritual body. Wait, what is a spiritual body? See, they've asked him, said, well, what kind of body? What happens in resurrection? He said, first of all, how foolish you are. You sow seeds. You sow a seed. Let's take a kernel of corn. You sow it. And whatever the stock comes up, it may not have anything that looks like that seed except ears of corn, but the rest, the stem, the rest of the plant, there's a continuity, but there's a change. We sow a seed, and nature tells you, we sow that which grows up, the fruit tree. I've got apricot trees in the backyard, and I had plum trees. You know, just see that seed. says, don't tell me there's a tree in that seed. There absolutely is, potentially. There's a tree there. And the tree will reflect the germ, the life existence in that. And so it uses the analogy of nature. Come on. This is happening all the time. A seed metamorphoses life, changes its form, its external look, but there's a continuity but a distinction. And he's saying, hey, we're going to sow the body, and it's going to come out, and he's describing, we're going to sow it in weakness, but we're going to see it come up in glory. We're going to sow it in dishonor. We're going to see it come up in honor. And then he goes on to say, it's raised a spiritual body. And it's interesting what people do with that. You know, the buzzword today, if you're, how are you doing with your spirituality? I mean, you haven't been consulting crystals if you don't know this language. Get up to date. Read Shirley. I'm in touch with my spirituality. What is it? A ghost? Something. Spirituality. I'm spiritual. What? Spirituality is never used in Scripture unless it t- it's tied to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, when you talk about a spiritual body, let me ask you something grammatically. Which is the strongest, a noun or an adjective? How many of you didn't graduate? <laughs> Which is the strongest part of speech, a noun or an adjective? Spiritual is what? Thank you, Tim. Uh, body's a noun. So some folks, they'll say, they make up these bodies. Well, it's spiritual. That means it's ethereal. It's intangible. It's invisible. It's Casper the ghost. That's their idea. That's why when they translate the Bible, they said, Holy Ghost. 
That's King James English that when they came to the word spirit and with the English concept of spirit, they thought of ghost. The Holy Spirit's not a ghost. He's a divine spirit. You need to know that because this is not a, the ghost in the haunted house. This is a real person. So when he says spiritual body, he says you will have a real body, tangible. We'll touch each other in the resurrection. They touch Christ. You don't just come to him and your hand slips through. There will be tangibility. But instead of blood animating the body, the Spirit of God is the animating force. It's a body animated now by the Holy Spirit And never will you go through a seven-year cycle of life and death, cells dying, new ones being made to replenish. No, the Spirit of God will animate the new body. So it will be called a spiritual body. There's the life source. Now, he goes down and he says, Adam was given life that made him an animated person, but Christ himself is a life giver. He's the source of life. And so he says, if you're in Adam, you must physically die, turn to dust. If you're a Christian, you're in the last Adam, Christ. And in Christ, he has promised his people a brand new body. Now, he's going to resurrect the unsaved dead, but he doesn't promise them a new body. It will be some kind of body that lasts eternally in separation from God, but he never calls it a glorified body. But they will have a body. In the parable of the rich man in hell in Luke 16, the man in hell desired water, could see, could talk, could hear, and spirit beings don't desire water. So it seems to be attached to a real body with basic appetites. But now, he comes down How will this uh, transition take place? How do we get this new body? One of two ways. You either die or he takes you while you're alive and you never die. And 1 Thessalonians gives us the description that Christ will come back again and he will raise those who have gone to sleep in Jesus And he will raise the dead first at the sound of a trumpet, the call of God, the voice of an archangel, and the dead in Christ will be resurrected, raised. And then he says there, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Look at the verse. I don't want to ruin it. Look at 1 Thessalonians. It will add to what we read here in in 1 Corinthians, look at 1 Thessalonians 4. Are you there? Uh, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, how is he going to bring them with him? Where do you go when you die? You go to heaven, right? So... We're going to come back with Christ from heaven because our body's in the ground. And so he's going to bring those back and we'll be reunited with our our body, which by now probably is nothing but dust. You couldn't see anything but bones. 
but he's going to bring us back with him and reunite us. He's going to have to resurrect a body, bring a glorified body to join together for eternity. Now, watch what he says. For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We will not go up before those who have died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. Um, You see that little word, uh, caught up? Are you there? Sometimes people ask me, well, you guys that believe in the rapture, you can't even show it to me in the Bible. Well, let, let me give you a lesson. Here's the word, caught up together with them. The word caught up, when it came to the Latin Vulgate, they, kept, they translated the Greek word harpazo. They translated rapture, to be caught up, ecstasy, sometimes out of your mind. And we're not talking about street ecstasy. We're talking about how the word used to really be used. Ecstasy, caught up. And so I just wanted to get it pinned down in my mind what the word means. Let me give you a little lexical definition of harpazo caught up. It means this. Uh, it was used to be snatched up by force, to seize, to carry off by force. It was used of being emotionally swept up. And that you would see the, uh, the music was rapturous. I was caught up emotionally in it. Thayer says this, to seize or carry off by force, to seize for oneself, to rescue from the danger of destruction, to seize and carry off. And you know what's an amazing thing? This is the verse he said in John 10, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Nobody can harpazo them. Nobody can get you out of my hand. It's the word used to Philip that when he was down in Samaria, he was caught up by the Spirit of the Lord, and they saw him in another part of Palestine, just like that. Free air mail, boom, right there. Caught up, Acts 8, same word. We believe that someday living saints will be caught up, seized, snatched, taken by force from this earth right into their heavenly home without ever having to go to the cemetery. There's a generation that will experience that. Now, there's a whole lot of us that grew up believing this. We hope we're that generation. I'm getting a little nervous the older I get. I may not go exactly that, but you know what? I will be there in the same event. I may have to be elevated out of the ground to catch up with the living, but I'm going up together. We'll go up together to meet the Lord in the clouds and the air. He says that. We'll go up together. Now, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 15. Got your finger there? Good. Look. All you technology folks, fake like you're turning pages. Hurtado. Uh, now, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, 
flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So, guess what God's going to get rid of for you? Your blood. The blood-body connection. There's going to be a point where your blood is going to be left behind, either by this living transformation when he raptures you, catches you up, or by way of death. There will be no blood in the new heavens. There's no blood there. Death is in the blood. The life is in the flesh. But because of sin, we're dying. We're dying, and we just keep transferring death. Every baby you have, you transfer the blood that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, and they're dying. You don't know it. It's like you're passing on arsenic in the bloodstream. You're passing on the death that God said would come to the race. And I don't care what you are, what your philosophy is, you better make plans to bury loved ones. They're going to die. And you are too. If he tarries his coming. If he tarries his coming. It's not a bad idea when you think, you know, would you want to live to be 100 years old? How many of you want to live to be 100? Okay, there's about three of you. I want that if my IQ stays off the chart, and sometimes it's under the chart, if I can have a quality of life, but just to take up space and eat food and consume time, uh uh-uh, that's not eternal life to me. To become non-functional, non-contributing, and just to be waited on. No, I don't want a long life. I want a a fruitful life. I want to make a contribution as long as I'm alive. And Lord, to live is Christ, to die would be gain. To die would be gain. So he says this, that we're going to move from the corruptible to incorruption. And then he says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, let me tell you what a mystery is scripturally. In the New Testament, it's a sacred secret that is now being told. Uh, And he's saying, basically, I never told you what I'm telling you now. This has never been told in the Old Testament. Now, let me ask you this. Did the Old Testament saints ever have God tell them about the resurrection? Where? Daniel 12, 1 and 2. Job 19. Though the skin worms eat my body, yet in my flesh I shall see my Redeemer. In the last days, Daniel 12, the righteous shall be raised. The unrighteous shall be. They had, they had promises of resurrection in the Old Testament. This is not the mystery he's telling. No, the resurrection isn't new. Here's what's new. That there could be living saints who never have to die. That in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, shall be changed and caught up to be with the Lord. I'm telling you something new that Abraham didn't know about, Isaiah didn't know about. I'm telling you, Christ can come at any moment. There's nothing to keep him away. Antichrist, apostasy. No, 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 no. He can come any moment, and the living saints on the earth at that time will be changed How quick? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, guess what the word for moment is? It's your word, atomos. Is there any ring? Only time it's ever used in the New Testament. In an atomic moment, you'll be changed. 
so small it can't be divided. And then he adds another description. In the twinkling of an eye. They say the twinkling of the eye is the quickest bodily motion you have. That your eye is just like that. We can't even hardly time it. It's so quick. Some have calculated it's not just eye movement, but the twinkle. By the time light hits your eye and goes back, whatever that timing is, it's in a small amount of time, just like that, you're going along, and you go from mortal to immortal. You go from perishable to imperishable. You go from dishonor to honor. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it will happen to some generation of believers. Now, you've got to answer the question, could it be us? It could be. Perhaps today. Harold Campy hasn't changed my theology a bit. He's coming. Just don't put, any, don't put any dates on it, because you'll look foolish. It goes on. That's kind, wasn't it? Uh, behold, I tell you a mystery. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as the trumpet sounds. Now, this isn't the last trumpet. Why a trumpet? A trumpet, the shofar, was used in Israel's history to call an assembly, to call them together for a feast day. And when Christ is going to gather his people together for the marriage supper of the Lamb, he uses a trumpet call. The trumpet call is his voice. He's crying out like a trumpet. And the voice of the archangel. He's going to awaken the dead. He's going to awaken the living and change them in a moment, just like that. It will sound, it will happen. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body will get rid of the imperishable. The mortal body subject to death will put on immortality. And when all this happens, quoting Isaiah, death is going to be swallowed up in victory. He has said the last enemy to be destroyed after he's reigned a thousand years and he's going to wrap up all of human history. He's going to destroy death, put it out of business. But here, when he raises us from the dead, when we're translated into his presence, he quotes Isaiah, death is swallowed up in victory, and then he taunts death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where are you? What are you going to do about it? You can't do a thing about it. Oh, death, where is your sting? What a description that he calls death a sting. The word he uses here was for the sting of a scorpion. It was used in the Maccabees of the sting of a bee. Uh, The fang of the serpent bit so deeply in Eden that it poisoned us. But someday, death is going to be defanged. Death is going to be like a bee that's lost its stinger. Uh, You know, the bee, we had a man that used to attend this church that was killed by a bumblebee. He, he was in the bee business, worked with his wife. But Gary was out there one day, boom, one got underneath his netting, got him, died. Larry, my nephew, he, he's got to get, he's got to have steroids right now if he ever gets bit by a bee. He's had some close calls. And he's saying here, the stinger of death uh, has been removed for the believer. 
You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he let the fangs stay in him. He, he let the poison go into him. And that bee's only got one stinger, only one chance, and you leave the stinger in the one you sting. And for us, we'll get to say, oh, death, where's your sting? You can't get me anymore. I'm immune from any threats of death. And he's doing that already for believers. I don't even have to wait to have a new body. I know in my dying moments I could say, this is not death as it used to be. This is a new kind of dying. For Christ has destroyed the power of death and the power of the devil in the realm. Hebrews 2, I claim it. He came lower than angels that he might destroy the power of death and deliver the seed of Abraham from the fear of death. I want to tell you, your dying day might be your best day. It could be your best day. Dying with hope. You know, when uh, Dwight Dal Moody was dying, they brought in his son. And he lingered for about two or three days, and he would go in and out. And uh, one time there, as he was going out, uh, he said, if this is death, it's wonderful. And his son would ask him questions. He said, it's wonderful. I'm catching a glimpse of another city. And then he told his boy, he said, by the way, tomorrow, if if they put in the paper that Dwight L. Moody has died, tell them how wrong. For tomorrow, I will be more alive than I've ever been in my life. I'll be with him never to die, never pain, none of the earthly reminders. I'll be more alive when they announce I've died than I've ever been in my life. You can die with hope. You can live with hope. Now, he goes into some songs here. The triumph, the the best is yet to come. Number one, we've got a great transformation ahead of us. Do you have hope? Part of the hope of the New Testament believer is they said, this life is not the end. Uh, The martyr's stake is not the end. Uh, The lion's den is not the end. The end of the believer's salvation is my body's going to be changed and the guillotine can't behead me, the lions can't eat me, and all of earthly sorrows will be pushed back forever and ever. Just think, you've only got a short run here. Some of us, you know, all of us Howard boys are happy we got past 63. My dad died at 63. And he's stronger than any of us. But God took him home. I remember Rich Rollins used to always admire and envy the fact he had his dear dad for so many years. He's got a mother in her 90s, still shoveling her own snow in the winter. Talk about the Jane Fonda of the church world. It's Bernice. (laughs) This girl's got strength. She's some gal. But my people haven't lived that long. How long? Don't let it bother you. It's what you're doing while you're alive. It's what you're doing while you're alive. And he says here, first of all, we're headed for a great transformation. Two, a great triumph is happening through Christ and will happen the day we will mock death alongside of Christ. He say, you be, you no longer can sting, you no longer can hurt, All of your power has ended, for in Christ, when he raises his people from the dead as a 
payment from the cross. The cross bought me a brand new body. Not just my sins forgiven. I got a new body on store right now, reserved. It's reserved in heaven, and Christ has paid full freight. I'm going to get it someday. It's going to be wonderful. A brand new body. Won't need glasses, dental work, Motrin, mirrors, man, vitamins. If you saw our vitamin case, you'd say, this is the old folks' home. I mean, we've got more vitamins. I, my stomach gets sick taking the 11 vitamins I take. Now I'm going to ask the doctor, how could you give me something that won't make me sick when I take it? You have no idea. But someday, someday. I asked my mother one time, she's 71, and she just had a stroke, and Carol and I were taking care of her, and I, she's in a wheelchair, and I said, Mama, how do you feel? She said, well, son, in my heart, I'm riding horses on my daddy's place in Missouri. I feel like a little girl, but my old body says I've become an old woman. I can't do what I wanted to do. But inside, son, uh, I'm still riding horses. I'm still having a ball. And, uh, but the old body has uh, uh, made it hard to have all my girlish dreams running through my heart. And so the body has a way of reminding us we're mortal. We're not destined here. But there's a triumph that will come. And he finally concludes here and says, uh, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. The victory of a resurrected body. What a, you don't realize it. You, you folks grew up in church. This is no big deal. You're hoping I get through quick. You, you should have been a Greek hearing this, reading this letter for the first time. That many of the Jews had given up belief in... The Sadducees didn't believe it. Much of Orthodox Judaism today doesn't believe in a resurrection. New Agers don't. Hindus don't. It's reincarnation. We literally say the cross bought me a brand new body someday that shall never perish, and I'll get it soon enough. Well... Got any word for us, Paul? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. I have about three things I want you to do. I want you to be steadfast and immovable. Hmm, why that? Ephesians 4 says that a mature believer quits being blown every way with every new fad that comes down the pike. That they come, they have some stability. I'm anchored in Jesus. I'm not moving. I'm staying right here. I'm on the rock. I tremble sometimes on the rock, but the rock never trembles under me. My hope is built on Christ. And he says, I want you to get established. You know, when I see some Christians steadfast, immovable, you're almost hate, you hate to see some Christians after six months to see the latest thing they got caught up in. But those that are maturing, those that are growing, are just steadfast and movable. I have friends that I grew up with in their 80s. Been walking with the Lord. They're just immovable. They're just, just going to heaven. Buried loved ones, been through a few church fights, been through a few disappointments, a few heartaches, but steadfast and immovable. 
not going anywhere. I've landed on Christ. And I'm not going to let the philosophies of this age sway my mind. Be established. And that only comes from the Word. That only comes from listening to God and doing what He says. We have an anchor. We have an anchor for the soul. He said, second of all, I want you to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Um, Abounding in the work of the Lord. Uh, You know, in church work, there's all kinds of people. Uh, I heard a pastor one time say, in in his church, he had four kinds of people. He had the VIPs that were very important, that basically probably the people that Kept it going, paid the finances, probably done the major part of the service in it. He said, then you have uh, very teachable people, people that you love to get your hands on because they're hungry. You can teach them. So he said, very important, very teachable. And then he said something that threw me. He said, very nice people, don't waste your life on them. And I said, "What, what do you mean? He said, you can have a lot of nice people that will never serve, that will never give. They're just, not, they're just every week, Pastor, it's a great sermon. Do you plan to do it? No, but keep it up. And they're just, they're nice. Nice folks. Where do you serve? I don't serve. Why do you come? Well, you, I'm like Israel when they listened to Ezekiel. They, it said when Ezekiel prophesied, he was like a minstrel player that people would come and hear him prophesy because it was like music to their ears, although they never did what he said. Read that in Ezekiel. And so you'd be a nice person and not be established and not be a servant. I've, I've worked with some testy Christians, and you know why you put up with their testiness? They were such hard workers. Their work outdid their personality. Personality-wise, they had the personality of a rock. But they worked. They were servants. Then uh, he described you have very draining people. He called them the VD people. That they're always draining, always want something, always taking, always taking, and never learn. To get involved. And I ask, uh, what are you doing to show others Christ? What are you doing to show others hope? What are you doing to bring healing to your, your realm of influence? What, what are you doing? Are, are you immobile? Why are you immobile? I, I don't know. I'm talking rhetorically. You talk to yourself. What am I, what am I doing with what life I have left and to something that dates us who have been around for a while is the one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's nice, nice piece of poetry, but it's true. Never forget Francis Schaeffer saying he grew up in the city of Philadelphia, and he said one day he was taking a walk out in the country, a little bit out of the city, and as he got out there, he got by the city dump. And when he got out by the city dump, He saw refrigerators, TVs, old couches, on and on and on. He said, it was interesting to me that everything people had made payments on yesterday, 
everything people desired yesterday, everything people worked hard to earn the cash to buy yesterday, it all wound up in the city dump. And so he said, I thought of 1 John that all of this world, it's lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of it's all going to wind up in a dump. But only what's done for Christ will last. I ask you, are you working for Christ? Are you a critic? Are you very draining? Are you passive? Are you a Christian? Maybe you've never found anything to work for. Many people have no cause worth living nor dying for. We've got the cause of all causes. And he said, go to work. And then he says this, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's it's an amazing thing. At the end of a chapter on the resurrection, he says, be established, go to work, and know you're not living in vain. If I could help somebody along the way, then I know that my living has not been in vain. Uh, I think of uh, the Ross family. Luella and Phil Ross, the last 10 years I'd saved their life, they probably weren't able to attend. Wound up being cared for in a home. Uh, life and age had taken over what they could do. But I never had more faithful people in all my life while they were alive and as long as they could function. Whether it was a Juana, Sunday school, He'd cover for Virginia when she's out of town, count the money, clean up, deacon, tell me off when he had to. There was no diplomat in him. He'd tell you what he thought. But a worker, both of them, a worker, a worker. And when they stand before the Lord, I think they, uh, they'll be able to say, everything I did while I could, I remembered my creator in the days of my youth before the evil days came, and I said, I find no pleasure in them. It's what you can do when you can do it. It's not when you're old and you need someone to wait on you. You've got just now, and the sand is going through the hourglass quick. It's going quick. Man, I wish I had two to three to four to five lives to give Christ. I wish I was 25 again. I wish I was starting all over preaching the word, because this has been the greatest thing in the world, living for Christ, telling people of Christ, and living for the final payment of my salvation, when Christ shall come from the air to translate me or resurrect me someday from a grave. One way or the other, I'm going to get the final installment, and so will you, just for having put faith in Jesus Christ. I ask you, do you ever worry about the fact you have no hope? that if you should die today, that you would not go to heaven and that you have no prospect of ever seeing Christ or ever having a glorified body. I'm going to pray for you. I want to let you bow your head and some of us brothers await after this service. If God moves your heart, we'd love to show you more fully how you can know Christ and get a hope for time and eternity. Father, we thank you for the hope of the resurrection, the hope 
of the rapture, the hope of the second coming of Christ. We thank you, we thank you that there's yet more to come in our great salvation that Christ purchased. Oh, we thank you, we thank you for his death and for the purchase he made. If there's anyone here that has no hope, that is not sure about death and dying, and never received Christ, would you today move on their heart to say, Lord Jesus, I take you to be my Savior. I take you now and forever. I pray for those that, uh, who claim to know him but are disengaged. Uh, they're not in the yoke. They're disconnected. They're living for themselves, their practice, their business, uh, whatever, a million other things we use as our excuses. Help us to be a people that our first business of all is serving the Lord Jesus Christ until we see him face to face. Precious Father, thank you for this great hope of the resurrection that's ahead of us all. In Jesus' name, amen.